Okay, mic check, one, two, one, two, one, two. Uh, yeah, let's get it. Okay, so if y'all want to get crazy, we can get crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. a beat son mic check one two one two adventures in black cinema this episode is new <laughs> welcome 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 to adventures in black cinema my name is desmond thorne and i will be your host and your film aficionado for the day I will not be your MC on the mic. I am uh, not a rapper, even though I just spit some fire bars right there. Super hot fire. I spit that. But I, as a reminder, am a filmmaker. I am a writer, producer, actor, director. I also do that for the stage. I got my BFA in acting from the University of Connecticut, AKA Yukon Huskies. And I really grew up in the theater, honestly. I've been doing theater since I was a child. And that will become important today for today's episode because greetings from New York, New York. Today's episode is called Adventures in Aging and Artistic Integrity, and we will be getting into the nitty-gritty of the film, the 40-year-old version. But first, let's do a little new segment. So, welcome to a new segment that I call Snaps and Claps. And this segment will kind of be the antithesis to decease and desist, which is a segment in which I want to dead or kill or shame something bad that's happening in terms of black pop culture. This is where I want to celebrate something. I want to give big ups to someone, somebody, something. And this week, I want to give snaps and claps to these sisters that are getting cast in these big franchises on the televisor. Now, though we must be critical of the Walt Disney faction, There have been four amazing, amazing black actresses who are mostly in independent films that have been cast in some of these big franchises, namely Marvel and Star Wars. So first up, Tiana Paris, who played Monica Rambeau and the superhero Photon in WandaVision, Tiana Paris, you may recognize from If Beale Street Could Talk, and she's going to be in Candyman this summer. I cannot fucking wait to see that movie. But in WandaVision, she plays Monica Rambeau, who is someone who works at S.W.O.R.D., 
And her mom was in Captain Marvel. So I am super excited. And Tiana does excellent work in WandaVision. Honestly, all of the women in WandaVision deserve snaps and claps, but we're talking about the sister at this moment. So she is so good, so grounded, so strong, and just brings so much humanity to a world in which things obviously aren't real. We're talking about superheroes, right? But man, oh man, from the first time you see her, at first she is in the world that Wanda has created. And then once you see her out in the real world, things really start to get cooking. She is just great in every single episode that she's in. She brings so much life to the show. And, you know, I'm just really excited to see where they bring Monica and where they bring Photon in the future because... She's not just going to be on this show. She's going to be in shit in the future. So she's going to continue to get these checks. Big up Satiana. Snaps and claps, girl. Snaps and claps. Next up, we have Moses Ingram, who you may recognize as playing Jolene on the Netflix miniseries, which may get another season. The Queen's Gambit. She was great in The Queen's Gambit, and she's going to be in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Yes, yes, yes. And not only that, she's going to have a great role because she's third build, which means when they announced the cast of this Obi-Wan Kenobi series that takes place about 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, which is the third Star Wars film, Moses Ingram is billed below Ewan McGregor, who plays fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Hayden Christensen, who plays fucking Darth Vader. So you know her role is going to be major. And let me just say, if we get a black woman Jedi, I will lose my fucking mind and cry. You know, though I just said we need to be (laughs) critical of these franchises and shit. You know, the geek within me would be very happy to see that. Another upcoming project is a show that's going to be on Disney Plus called Ironheart, which is going to be a Marvel show. And Ironheart is about a young, black, teenage genius named Riri Williams, and she creates a suit of armor that is, I presume, to be stronger than Iron Man's and inspired by Iron Man's. So... Already, this is going to be great. And Dominique Thorne, who is playing Riri, you may recognize from, again, If Beale Street Could Talk and Judas and the Black Messiah. I also hope you notice so far that there have been people that have been mentioned on the You Better Act Award on my show. So I know talent and that this talent is getting these checks makes me just, again, so thrilled. Also, we have, last but not least, Adepero Aduye, who is playing the Falcon's sister in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series on Disney+. And it's so great to see her come through. I know her mostly from Pariah, which is an excellent, excellent queer Black film that, again, we've talked about briefly before. And it's so great to see her again. I haven't seen her in a while, and I know she's been working steadily, but again, to see her on this big platform is just amazing. 
And the thing is too with this, they are not just getting top of mind black actresses. They are getting super talented women who mostly do independent work. They have dug through the crates and these people's agents are also doing work. It's just brilliant. And it's more than just the money, right? It is the fact that these women are going to get so much more notoriety. There are so many people watching all of this stuff that have never seen them in anything before. It will hopefully inspire them to watch the other things that they have been in and continue to watch the things that they will be in in the future. It gives them a bigger platform to be able to produce work. Margot Robbie is a great example of this. She does that Harley Quinn shit that's all bullshit except for Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey is a great film. And when she gets those checks, she then produces projects that she's passionate about and stories that she wants to see get made. And that is amazing. Promising Young Woman, which is nominated for Best Picture this year, is one of those films. And... Once you get that money, that notoriety, and that name, you can do anything. And I want to see black women in this business get to do anything more than anyone else. So again, snaps and claps to these wonderful, wonderful, wonderful sisters. And I can't wait to see the things I haven't seen yet. Yes! You are here for one reason, one reason only. So let's get into the nitty gritty of the 40-year-old version. So the 40-year-old version was released last year in 2020 and was directed by Rada Blank. And here's a little summary of the film if you're not familiar with it. This is more of a hidden gem after all. This semi-autobiographical tale tells the story of Rada, played of course by Rada Blank, who is a playwright but hasn't got anything up on stage in a while and her main job now is teaching a playwriting class at a high school. As she is quickly approaching 40, Rada starts to question what she's doing with her life and one day remembers her long dormant love for writing and spitting rhymes, aka rapping. At the same time, her best friend and agent, Archie, played by the adorable, adorable Peter Kim, has landed her an off-Broadway production of her new play, Harlem Ave, with a white producer named Jay Whitman, played by Reed Burney, who is doing everything he can to whitewash her material. And on top of all of that, Rada is processing the recent death of her mother. So how will Rada be able to balance a career in rap, her job as a playwriting teacher, a new play that's not going the way she wants, and Time to properly grieve her mother. Oh my God. You gotta watch the movie. But this film also stars Oswin Benjamin, who plays Dee, who essentially becomes Rada's producer and kind of her mentor and helps guide her through this world of rap as she's trying to make a mixtape for the first time. And he also, spoiler alert, becomes her lover. And they also have this really beautiful connection that happens as Rada discovers that his mother has also died. They have this really great connection kind of through their grief as they are processing this. And I think it's really important for films to address that, to address that 
you know, grieving can be a very difficult process and it's not something that you have to do alone. I think that's a very beautiful message. And also, Osman just gives such an easy performance, just so laid back and does so much without having to say a lot, you know? And that is good acting. That is what you do. It's in the eyes, y'all. It's in the fucking eyes. So... The actors who play Rada's students in her playwriting class are Imani Lewis, who plays Elaine, which I have talked about Imani before. She has gotten the You Better Act Award in part for this performance. She is amazing, and I can't wait to see what she does in the coming years. We also have Haskiri Velasquez, who plays Rosa, and... Rosa and Elaine have a very interesting storyline that I really like, that I identify with, because when we are talking about queer students in high school, you know, having Elaine be the character who hasn't quite figured her shit out yet and seeing someone who's so openly queer like Rosa can make you angry and resentful and sad and all kinds of things just because, like, you are so confused yourself. And to see someone like Rosa be so out and proud in high school and, like, have a crush on Rada, who they all call Miss B, um, is really, really great. And I love seeing this kind of relationship blossom because it feels just so absolutely real to me to things that I observed in high school and things that I personally lived in high school. Then we also have Antonio Ortiz and TJ Atmos who play Waldo and Kamal and they come up with this crazy play that they end up doing in the class and they're really great and they get to do a lot of things together including some of the interview portions in the film. So there are points in the movie Every once in a while, I would say like once or twice per act of the film where you do see characters that are around Rada's neighborhood kind of giving interviews and kind of thoughts on the events that are happening and giving commentary. Again, very much like the Greek chorus that Spike Lee employs in Do the Right Thing. And those two get to do that. And they're a lot of fun to watch. They remind me of a lot of dudes that I went to high school with. It's a lot of fun. We also have Jacob Ming Trent, who plays Lamont, who is one of Rada's neighbors who is living outdoors. And oh my God, this dude is so funny. This character perfectly rides the line of if I saw them in real life, some of the things that they say, I would possibly find offensive, but it's so funny. It rides that line perfectly that I'm just like, hmm. I will allow that. That was a great joke. That was fucking hilarious. And uh, I will allow it. So he's super great. And also provides a, a bit of heart near the end and a bit of guidance to Rada. And last but not least, we do have Andre Ward in this film. And Andre Ward plays this guy who is the head of the Umoja Theater, where Rada is originally doing her play, but it's a workshop, and she wants to do a full production. And he doesn't really want to let her because of budgetary stuff. Great character, uh, has a bit of an uppity vibe to him, and also 
when he sees the full production of Harlem Ave, the whitewashed production of Harlem Ave on opening night, his reactions are so fucking funny. He takes out this fan and starts fanning himself and throwing shade. It's so great. And you may also recognize Andre Ward from Pose. He is one of the MCs in which when you see Pray Tell, played by Billy Porter, go to the diners to talk to the other MCs of the balls, you see Andre Ward as one of those MCs. So it's great to see him. Great to see all of these New York actors in this film. It's quite wonderful. And big ups to Rada and the team for casting this wonderful group of people. And before we move on to the fun facts, I do want to talk about the importance of the relationship between Rada and Archie, because it's not often that you see a best friendship between a black person and an Asian person, a black woman and a gay Asian man. It's so important to see for several reasons. It's important to see unity between Black folks and Asian folks. It's important to see that this gay character is not an accessory to Rada by any means. He has a full life. He's doing his thing as well. And it's also important to see that this character is gay. This is not a story about him being gay. And they still cast a fucking gay actor. It is so important for visibility for that to continue to happen. It doesn't matter if it's about him being gay or not. The fact that he's a gay actor brings such a great sense of authenticity to the film. And like I said, Peter Kim is so adorable. He is so, so cute. And in terms of Black and Asian unity, we need to see this way more in the media because it's something that's very real in my life. I know it's real in other people's lives. We, as Black people have a lot to learn from Asian people, and Asian people have a lot to learn from us. We have to continue to unite against this white supremacy that is happening, and this wedge that the white America wants to put between us to divide us. They put us in a lot of the same situations, and our histories, have similar things that we've had to push against and push back from. So when all of this shit is happening out here in these streets, we really need to have each other's backs and we need to fight against this white shit, this shit that's happening, this violence, this systemic racism. And I think we can, and I think we are doing it. And Let's let's do more. And allies, get off your fucking asses and do something, y'all. And that's all I have to say about that at this time. So let's move on to these fun facts. Here are some fun facts about this film. Rada was a writer and producer on Spike Lee's TV version of She's Gotta Have It, which was also on Netflix, which... The film She's Gotta Have It is definitely a very big stylistic inspiration for the 40-year-old version. I mean, first of all, you have the black and white cinematography. You have the interview style that's happening of people talking about Rada and everything like that. And I think generally, too, you know, it being a New York story... Rada and Spike have a similar way of writing these characters that are obviously taking place in the real world with grounded acting that feels like it's just a step above reality in terms of the way that some of the people talk, uh, like Lamont, who is the neighbor who's living outside. And it's interesting because when this film came out and I was hearing the name Rada Blank, Rada Blank, Rada Blank all over and over again, 
I was like, am I recognizing her from the world of theater? And I thought, you know, possibly, maybe. But then when I saw this, I realized it was definitely from the She's Gotta Have It show. Because I remember when I was watching the show, thinking it was so fucking cool that there were so many women who were writing and producing on that show. And a lot of people who were involved in theater working on that show. It was a really great idea of Spikes, and it showed a lot of movement forward in terms of how to tell that story in this day and age. Fun fact number two, Radha's brother, Ravi, plays himself in the film, as do the rappers seen performing throughout the film. Like, we do see young M.A. We also see a lot of rappers at the Queen of the Rings scene, which we'll talk about later. They are also great. Also, Ravi is so cute. Uh, Does someone have his number? Give it to me. You can give him my number. Anyway, this wants to go down, it can go down. If he's queer, I don't even know if he's queer, but he gives me those vibes, you know? And if you're not, okay. Fun fact number three. Though this film was ignored by the Oscars, Rada won the Dramatic Directing Award for this film at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival. It was one of the top 10 films in the National Board of Review. It was nominated for three Image Awards and it won one for the screenplay. It won Best Screenplay at the Gotham Awards. It was nominated for Best First Feature at the Independent Spirit Awards. Rada was nominated for First Time Feature Director at the Directors Guild Awards. And... Best Actress at the BAFTAs, among many other accolades. So like I said, though this film was ignored by the Oscars, it was one of the most celebrated and awarded films of 2020. And I think that that deserves some snaps and claps. And honestly, was really thinking that this would make it to Best Original Screenplay. Kind of. (laughs) I watched it thinking that it deserved it, but kind of knowing in the back of my mind that it wasn't going to happen. It's just a little chill original for a best original screenplay, even though that's literally what you're awarding. But, you know, far be it from me to tell the Academy how to do their jobs. And to be honest, the screenplay categories are usually pretty good. So I wonder how many votes that it got. I wonder if it was even in conversation Netflix really shit the bed with a lot of their films that were not The Trial of the Chicago 7 and Mank, which are not that good. They could have really spread the love around and given more love and more attention and more press to some of these other smaller films, some of these black films. But, you know, I digress. I digress. So my first experiencing this film was when I was back home in New Jersey for my 30th birthday. This was in November of 2020, and I was catching up on movies from 2020 that I had not seen up to that point, and this was definitely one of them. I watched this and another great film called Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, around the same time. And this film just really struck me with its originality, with its grounded sense of humor. I love understated, underhanded jokes. I love awkward humor. And this film has plenty of that. And it also had an impact on me because I myself was getting older at the time. Still am, every single day. But I loved how much it was about these themes that we are going to talk about, about aging and about artistic integrity and how you keep going 
with what you want to do as you get older and as you receive all this pushback from the world and such. And I think with that, let's just get into these themes of aging and artistic integrity. So obviously, with a film called The 40-Year-Old Version, we are going to be dealing with a large theme of aging. But what I love about this film is that it specifically deals with aging as an artist. And I think that that is a discussion that needs to be had more often. I think especially when you are an artist who hasn't quite made it yet, quote unquote, or made it to the place that you envisioned yourself or that you want to be, it can be very, very difficult. So when we are with Rada in those moments where she's kind of like, you know, what the fuck am I doing? Even her students kind of question her on that. Like Elaine is like, I've looked you up. You were 30 and the 30 and all that shit. But now you up in here doing workshops and shit. So what's good with you? And that obviously makes Rada question herself. And I think that's a question that she asks herself all the time. And it's interesting because as an artist, we are all kind of trying to reach this goal that is not as visible as some other professions. And it's just harder to get to, you know, especially as a black person. And in Rada's case, as a black woman, it's just really, really tough. So when she feels down on herself, that was something that I definitely connected to. I mean, I was on the precipice of turning 30 when I watched this film. And like I said in the beginning, like I came up in theater. I've been doing theater since I was a kid. And acting in theater was my thing for a very long time. And I think that I was very unable, unwilling to shift from that at all in any way because I thought that meant that I was failing in some form or fashion. But as I started directing and writing, that only was informed by my acting background. I feel like my acting background helped me do those things better and also produce better. And also writing, directing, and producing in the vice versa helped me be a better actor. I feel like I can approach a script now with so much better instincts. And I think as a director, always wanting to get people to a performance that resembles them being in themselves as much as possible through this character, I think I can really do that through acting in a way that I had not even learned how to do before. So I think when Rada shifts gears and you know, starts rapping in this film, at first it comes off as kind of strange and kind of like, what is she doing? She is pretty quickly quite good at it, but I think being open to an evolution of yourself as an artist, I think is something that's very important. And you see her express herself and express the ideas that she wants to give off through her rapping. I mean, case in point, the... (laughs) The rap poverty porn that she does pretty early on when she starts working with D, who is the guy that helps her kind of navigate the rap scene as her producer and then later as her lover. That rap is just so perfect because it is a culmination of the things that she's been through as a playwright. And speaking of poverty porn, oh my gosh, the way that theater itself is represented in this film feels very, very real to me. 
It feels like kind of the way that I feel about the theater world sometimes. Like, beyond being an actor and a director in the theater, I've also worked at an off-Broadway theater, a wonderful off-Broadway theater called St. Anne's Warehouse in Dumbo, Brooklyn. And kind of seeing the patrons and the producers and kind of the way around. Of course, this doesn't represent everybody that I've come in contact with. But when we are at the party with Rada, Archie, and Archie's trying to get Rada to cozy up to Jay Whitman. And Jay Whitman is talking about how he's looking for someone to write his Harriet Tubman musical. And you see these two ladies who you see kind of every once in a while in the film, and the first time you see them, they're talking about this wonderful multicultural production of Fences that they saw. And one of the comments they say is, It's August Wilson, but it's integrated. And that is so sad in terms of what white audiences really want to see. They want to be included so bad in things that they are not included in, and it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the things that Jay Whitman does in order to make Rada's play more, quote-unquote, accessible to the target audience, which, you know, he's thinking that the target audience is these older white people— The things that he does to that play by making her add this white woman to the play and making it so much more about her, I mean, we see this time and time and time again. It is very racist. It is very classist. You know, theater itself being so expensive and being so out of reach to younger people and to people who are outside of the rich class system is very problematic. That has to be changed. And the fact that Jay Whitman makes Rada get a white director and he's like, well, she directed A Race in the Sun. And it's like, well, those are your credentials? Like, what the fuck? And you see that all the time. Like, it really, really bothers me when we have these wonderful, wonderful works of black theater and they're directed by white people or even sometimes multicultural pieces or pieces where they're trying to say something via casting people of color. It's like, come on, let's have a person of color direct this so that they can bring their experience to it. And Marada asks Archie, she's like, why couldn't they get a black director to direct my play? And his response being, all the working black directors in theater are currently working. And um, it's just so real. It's so real. There's few and far between. And of course, they're always working to make the system itself feel like it's doing something where if they were truly doing something, they would be more black directors available. You would be working to train more black directors to get to that space. And Rada really tries the best that she can to maintain some kind of artistic integrity through this play, though she's been forced to change it and whitewash it and all this shit. And, you know, this is why she goes back to her love of rapping. She can really express herself the way that she wants to through this art form. And this film, both times that I saw it, really brought me back to my love of hip hop because I truly do love hip hop. There is a way in which it has evolved that I don't like that much. Like I am much more of a fan of hip hop and rap 
as a form of storytelling. Dee brings that up in this film, actually. You know, there's a point where Radha's working hardcore on the play, and she is you know, kind of down on herself or getting high at D's show and fucking up. Again, another moment of her asking herself, like, what the fuck is she doing? And, you know, so she hasn't been in the booth in a while. She hasn't seen D in a while. And while another guy's in the booth, D is texting Rada, trying to figure out, you know, where she is, what she's up to. And the guy who's in the booth is like, yo, D, what you doing? Are you still texting that old broad? And D is like, well, at least she has something to say. You're just up here doing fucking word association, which is kind of a lot of what modern hip hop is doing today, especially the dudes. Like, I feel like the ladies still have it. Like, in terms of modern female MCs, we have Tierra Wack, who is incredible. She is everything. I love Cardi and I love Megan. They're so much fun to listen to. You know, when Nikki is on, she's on, you know, it's... It's a hit or miss with Nikki, but I think that there's something about female MCs in which there's just, they still have shit to say. You know, even when they are talking about things like sex and dudes and stuff, it's more interesting because it's it's a perspective that we haven't heard as much before. It's way more fun. There's way more skill behind it because they have to have that skill to even get to the place where they can, you know, get into a booth and get good producers and stuff like that. So these are such inspiring stories to me to see. And, you know, I just love that old school storytelling joint. You know, modern dude rappers who I like, you know, I like Tyler. I like Earl Sweatshirt. I like Saba. I like Vince Staples. I love, 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 love Vince Staples. Um, who else do I like? Just people who are more into telling complete stories, more indie rappers. I love Isaiah Rashad. I love Kendrick. I love J-Rock. You know, these are people who are telling stories. And in terms of 90s, ooh, 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 Missy, MC Light, Lil' Kim, Tribe Called Quest, Wu-Tang, I mean... I could really, really go on. I mean, Tupac, Biggie, you could really, really go on and on. Run DMC. I mean, it's it's really crazy how much these people were telling. Dr. Dre, <laughs> these people were telling stories, y'all. Telling stories. And what I love about how rap is represented in this movie is that you see people who have extreme skill. The scene before the show in which Rada fails at D's show there's a nice little like warm-up cipher that's going on, and these people are just spitting, and it's so good. Even Rada is in her little warm-up before she smokes and you know fucks up. And then there's a scene where D takes Rada to the Queen of the Ring. I think that takes place in the Bronx. And these ladies are just straight up spitting fire in this ring. So this is a kind of occasion where these ladies are battle rapping against each other inside of a boxing ring and it's such a great scene of course all of these rappers in this film are actual rappers with a lot of skill and it brings me back to a skill that I call deep listening I don't call it that you know I didn't make it up but it's something that I've gotten back into in quarantine essentially what you do is you put on an album you listen to a full album no skipping no looking at your phone put on the album I love listening to records, but you don't have to have the album on record. You can listen to it on Spotify. That is perfectly fine. Put the album on, close your eyes, 
and just listen to the album. They gon' make a sister act up. I'm left out with the matches. Light it up like a backwood, make him call the whole hood. Go grid like I'm Dracula. Still in all black, I'm a rapper's rapper. I feel like Erlacker. Bang on the block, better shoot like KD. If you ever take a shot, play a big lie with my team. Got the rock, been groomed for the throne. I ain't have to tie knot, don't back it up. Get into the beats, get into the lyrics, because especially with hip hop, when you are listening to good hip hop, both sides are good. You know, the beat is hypnotic and those lyrics are hitting to the point where you're just like, yes, yes, yes. Ooh, you know, you get those feelings because it's, there's such skill to it. There is such immense skill to it. So I definitely recommend getting, oh my God, I forgot about the Fugees. <laughs> Lauren Hill, of course. Put on a really good hip hop album and just listen to it in full. Close your eyes, bop to the beat, get into those lyrics, get into those raps. And something else that I love about the artistic integrity in general with this film is that, you know, Rada started out in real life as a playwright. And she still writes plays. And at the same time, she became a writer and a producer on television. And then she did this film. So everything that she has done is really evolving one into the other. Just because you decide to do something new as an artist does not mean that what you have done in the past is lost. And I think in terms of artistic integrity as black folks, like we really have to stick to our guns and it's really difficult sometimes because this society that we create for and that, you know, our work is essentially a part of this entertainment industry, they want to water us down, they want to whitewash our material, they want to make it more quote-unquote palatable for a quote-unquote mainstream audience. When we have to tell the stories continuously that we want to see told and the ones that we really, really want to tell. That is so, so beyond, beyond important. And I appreciate this movie for telling a story about this very thing and doing this thing through the movie itself. So in conclusion, this film is so dope. The screenplay is incredibly original while still borrowing inspiration from other pieces of black art. And it shows Rada as a hopeful force to be reckoned with in the world of independent film. It is a lot to balance being the writer, director, producer, and star of a film that's shot on 35 millimeter black and white film, no less, but she pulls it off flawlessly as evidenced by the myriad of categories that she's been nominated in this year for this film. I'm very excited to see what she does next, which I hear rumor may possibly be a road trip film about her and her father's relationship. The 40-year-old version is now streaming on Netflix. Check it out. All my life I had to fight. So before I get into this week's You Better Act Award, I must, I must, I must mention, because I can't, I cannot have talked about my favorite people in hip-hop without mentioning Outkast and Snoop Dogg. 
I did not mention them before, but I do love them. So now the time has come for the You Better Act Award. And if you're not familiar with the You Better Act Award, this is an award that I give out every single week to a performance that I think is just absolutely incredible and deserves all the love and the praise and the attention. So this week's You Better Act Award goes to, drumroll please, Viola Davis in Doubt. Doubt is a film from 2008 that is based on a play from 2004 that won the Tony for Best Play that year. And Doubt was directed by the playwright John Patrick Shanley. And it is about a sister at a Catholic school named Sister Aloysius, who's played by Meryl Streep. And there is a new nun in the fold named Sister James, who is played by Amy Adams. And they begin to believe that the priest at the Catholic school and the church, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, has been touching some of the kids, has been sexually molesting in specific, one of the boys, the only black boy who goes to the school, and that boy's mother is played by Viola Davis. Now, at that point, I was very familiar with the play, and I had seen the trailer, and, you know, I was hyped to see Meryl, Philip, and Amy do their thing, and I was unfamiliar with Viola Davis at the time, though she had already won a Tony for being in King Hedley II. This was her film breakthrough. She was nominated for an Oscar for this film. She is in one scene and she absolutely nails it. This character is really, really interesting. Sister Aloysius calls her in to have this discussion about the fact that, you know, this priest we think is, you know, touching your kid and Viola Davis's character is like, well, is he okay? You know, I don't know what's going on with my son personally, but he's been given a chance to go to this good school and I don't want to ruin that for him and I don't want to ruin his life by making this into a thing if it is indeed happening. It is a scene to behold and Viola fucking nails. Oh my God, does she nail she absolutely deserved this Oscar nomination, and it was the first of, I believe, four that she has now, including one win for the film Fences, also adapted from a play. And, man, this just left such an impact on me. I went in wanting to see the three people that I was familiar with, and I left wanting to see more of Viola Davis. So if you haven't seen this movie, it's quite good. It's quite well shot, especially if you're familiar with the play. You'll enjoy it. And Doubt is now streaming on HBO Max. Check it out if you want to see some good Viola. So, in closing for today, some food for thought. Has there ever been a point in your life where you thought it was time for a bit of a career change, time to freshen things up? And what was that change that transpired? Comment on our Instagram and follow us on Instagram at Adventures in Black Cinema. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a rating if you'd like. Follow the podcast on Spotify. 
Thank you, per usual, to the team. We have Matt Mozzarella on audio. We have our production assistant, Cindy Edward. And we also, of course, have our executive producer, Miss Amanda Seals. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And next week, we will be getting into the nitty gritty of Judas and the Black Messiah with a very special guest, Maori Holmes, who is the founder of the Black Star Film Festival. Super excited for that one. So till then, stay safe, stay black, and stay blessed. See you next week. Great.